And we are in our series in Joshua called Conquering Canaan. And we've been looking at this now for, well, since the beginning of the year. And we're already into the second month of the year. And we're looking at chapter 5 of Joshua. And I want to pick it up this morning reading in verse 1 of chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the same or the very same day. And the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and we thank you here for this chapter in the book of Joshua. We pray, Lord, as we look at it this morning, that you would teach us as only you can, and that, Lord, we would be obedient to what you do teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this chapter in the book of Joshua, and of course, the book of Joshua is the historic account of the nation of Israel going from the wilderness experience, where they wandered around for almost 40 years in the wilderness, And they move into the land that had been promised to their ancestor, Abraham, and thus to their descendants, or Abraham's descendants. And they finally, after over 400 years, enter into the land. Now, last time, we looked at that crossing of the Jordan, and we looked at the miracle that took place there. And it was really a place where God would 
caused the people to rely on him by faith as he had been teaching them all these years as well to rely on, to to be relying on him but it also was a place where joshua would be elevated as their leader and confirmed again as their leader the successor to moses and we we looked at that last week and the jordan being that picture of death really it was overflowing its banks it was an impossible situation but not impossible with god god allowed the whole nation to cross over and then we come to this chapter in chapter five and we find and it's sort of an uncomfortable passage i'll just be honest with you if you uh, have read down through with me you see this issue of circumcision that is talked about and the for a jewish male uh, they were as a token of the covenant that was given to abraham with god a covenant made with uh, abraham all the men of abraham's household and his descendants males were to be circumcised and it is the cutting off of the foreskin of the male sex organ in a very simple format if you don't know what that is but anyways for kids talk about it with your mom and dad or whatever something very uncomfortable to talk about in general not something usually brought up in polite company by any means but yet god devotes this whole chapter here to something that was to be done and it was something that was of a somewhat of a public concern but a private matter as well and we're going to look at that because as i said if i was to write the bible i think i would just leave this chapter out but i didn't write the bible and god wrote the bible and when he does he does it for a reason and though this is specific to the people of israel in that time it is something i think we can gather as we've already seen in the book of joshua where joshua and the the whole book really are pictures or types of a greater victory that occurred through jesus christ and jesus today wants us to enter into a place of rest you know canaan and there is a process of entering in not only just trusting the lord in that process he's ultimately the one that gives the victory but we walk by faith and this is a a pictured again here in this chapter and i would say that because sometimes my thoughts aren't his thoughts right the bible says that isaiah 55 8 For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'm always reminded of that, that when it comes down to the planning of God, and the things that God looks at as important, they're not always my priorities. And I am glad that we go to him, we go to his book, and we look at these priorities that he has in place. The picture of the cutting off of the uh, skin of the four of the flesh, really, that is seen here, it was a command that Israel had to do. For forty years, they had wandered around until that older generation, that generation, by the way, that didn't believe God. Remember, they came out of Egypt, and uh, God delivered them miraculously, defeats the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. They come into the wilderness and there they are to cross over that from that desert wilderness into the land that God promised them and God would allow them to do that but they didn't trust the Lord they didn't believe that he could do it and he said fine you'll wander around until you all die in this wilderness and as I've said before only two of that generation would enter into the land and that would be Caleb and Joshua and they were two that believed God in that generation when everybody else didn't. So the younger generation that was born after that, 
Um, and in that wilderness experience and all of that, they, the men, you know, boys grow up and they're men or whatever, but they never took that mark of circumcision, which was a command of the Lord to those who had entered into the covenant of God and specific to Israel. And they didn't do that um, for various reasons. They didn't do it. But when they come into the land and they set foot on that land, one of the first things that God wants them to do after they set up those memorial stones, remember we talked about that last week, is he wants them to stop and to go back and to honor the covenant and honor God. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And, and by the way, this picture of the cutting off of the flesh um, which occurred both privately but had public consequences of it, was something that pictures for us our spiritual battle. Because God always was in the business, and he told Israel this, that he wanted their heart circumcised. He wanted them to have a heart that was dedicated to him, and that wasn't a heart just driven by its flesh, but rather by the Spirit. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what it says to the believer, all right, in this dispensation, this age, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Our warfare, by the way, is not the same warfare that Israel had in entering into the land. Jesus called us to a spiritual warfare, a warfare that involves each and every individual believer being prepared for that day of battle and the battle that is before us every day. And and the book of Joshua pictures the things that battle against the believer. You you see the battle of the flesh. We battle ourselves, don't we? We see the battle that the world presses on in us. And we're going to come to Jericho, that first city in which the Lord uh, overcomes and uses Israel to do so. Actually, he did it. I mean, Israel didn't do anything but march around the city uh, led by Joshua. And as they, as they do that, uh, God does a mighty miracle of t- taking those walls down and taking the city. And that picture is really the system of by faith we overcome the world. And then there is the old enemy, the devil. And... Uh, the devil, you know, he is always warring against believers. He has done so from the very beginning, the first people, all the way to this very present day. And you can bet our enemy doesn't want you sitting here today listening to this or hearing it anywhere. He wants to make sure you remain blind and deceived. And he's like that. We're going to come later to the Gibeonites and we're going to see them and the deceit of these that are uh, referred to later on in the book of Joshua and they picture for us really the enemy that can come and deceive us and those are all things that battle against our souls today the world the flesh and the devil well we we know this Paul writes for the weapons of our warfare are not are not carnal not fleshly but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, the Lord wants us to be victorious in bringing our thoughts into obedience with the Lord. That's what He wants today for us. And that's a battle. Let's be real about it. You get up in the morning, sometimes my thoughts are so far from the things that are the most important. I'm concerned about the things I have set before me and the work that's due or this, is, this has to take place or the concerns or the worries 
or the lack of something or you know we think about those kind of concerns and yet are we bringing our our minds into the obedience of christ that's what he wants well we're going to look at several things here about uh, what the people of israel did in joshua chapter 5 and i'm just going to touch on each one of these hopefully uh, in a in a fashion we'll just move along here this morning but the very first thing you notice is that they renewed their covenant. I think, honestly, the Christian life and the life of the believer in the Old Testament as well was the same, that it was a constant uh, aspect of renewing your covenant you made or your faith and your trust. And sometimes we need to stop and just do that and renew and say, Lord, uh, I have let these areas in my life slip and I haven't been obedient the way I should be. I'm going to renew those things. And we repent from our ways and we turn to him. And we see this aspect, and I won't take the time to read the whole text again, but Joshua, when, he gets, when they get over on the other side into the land of Canaan on the plains of Jericho, the very first thing they say, he, the Lord tells them is that, I want the men to go and be circumcised. And that was a token of the covenant with Abraham which God had given so many years before. And I've said this before, just in the introduction, but the, the aspect of circumcision was a number of things. First of all, it required um, a certain measure of pain. And I'm sure there's not a man here that's not thinking about that, saying that would hurt, all right? Especially for adult men. And, and there were boys in that, that group as well. But there was something aspect of cutting off of the flesh that always incurs something that's painful. If you're going to follow the Lord spiritually and you have to do His will and cut off the flesh that's within us that always drives us, guess what? It's going to cost us sometimes painfully. It will. But they were going to do this and renew their covenant. And in doing so, they were stepping into obedience with the Lord on that matter. I think it's important, and again, it distinguished the Jew as a marked person. They were physically marked. They were different than the nations around them. And I could, uh, for lack of time, I won't go into all the thoughts I have on this, but I will just say that for the Jewish male, he was constantly reminded every day that he was not his own, but he was God's. He was marked. And I can say that we ought to always... Uh, people as God's people be reminded daily that we're not our own we're his and we're bought with a price it isn't the price of just cutting off some flesh it's the price of the blood of Christ the very life of the Savior as he was given for us at the cross and it cost God his son the eternal son who would give his life for us that's a heavy cost and we're to be reminded of that constantly. I hope you do that. And you are, you know, wake up in the morning, you say, I'm not my own. Lord, here I am. What, do you, what would you have for me today? The process that we talk about into the heading of Christian living would be sanctification. That's the biblical word that talks about really our walk and our position practically with the Lord and also positionally. I am sanctified because Christ has set me apart and he has sealed me on to the day of redemption. He saved me because I've trusted and believed in him. But the process daily, as I'm still in this flesh, is going to be a battle. And in that aspect of our sanctification, I would just say up front, are you winning that battle? 
it's important that you do. Back there in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord explained circumcision in a deeper sense. He says, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. That's an Old Testament principle. He always wanted his people to first and foremost have a heart, a mind that was on him. And be stiff-necked no longer. In other words, don't be rebellious. Don't be set in your ways. But follow him. and Do that. In the New Testament, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you walking in the newness of life, or are you still walking in the old fleshly heart? That's the question. Circumcise your heart. Secondly, they reaffirmed their confidence. They reaffirmed their confidence. Look at verse 8. It says, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Now, this is a, you know, an important thing. Obviously, there was a physical aspect of the cutting off of the flesh that would have made a man lame and he would have had to heal from that before he could go into battle. And a very vulnerable place, by the way. You think about that, you've just crossed over the Jordan and you're every single man who is of fighting age, who is in that military, has now taken himself out of the battle, it seems. And yet, it was a preparation of the heart that would give them later the ability to follow God in a way they should. And may I say it this way, sometimes we need to just take ourselves out of the battle and retreat for a moment and deal with the us, the me. Because the me will get in the way later if I don't. And that's what they did. They finished circumcising and then they had to wait around until they were healed. I don't know if that would be days. It would probably be at least a week. It would be a while. And you can imagine the vulnerability of that place. Sometimes we need to be vulnerable and, and get dealing with ourselves in that kind of way to see how strong God is and that he can still protect them. And there was an aspect of reliance and trust here in doing so. It wasn't like a two-phase plan, right? That's how I would have done it. Well, all right, we'll take half our men and do this. And then the other half, when they're healed up, they'll do it. And we'll just delay. No, God says, I want all of you to do it. And they had to do it. That's the way the Lord is. He, his ways are not our ways. And he is the one who is able to do that. There's a lot of spiritual truth in that. And again, sometimes we look out and we have a plan that might be two or three different ways we're going to accomplish this. God says, no, there's just one way and you've got to trust me on it. That's what faith is, is the ability to trust and rely and he's the only one that's 100% reliable and trustworthy. I think of Noah. Noah had one way to be delivered, he and his family. It was to go into the ark. And there he was in the ark and the flood came. And it was the only way that Noah and his family were saved. There was the firstborn of Israel. Remember when the plague came, the Passover and God says, I want you to be in your house. I want you to put the blood of a lamb that is slain. It had to be a perfect lamb without spot or blemish. Take that lamb's blood and put it on your doorpost and on your lintel. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. 
didn't matter how you felt in the house. It didn't matter if you were scared or if you were secure or you felt secure. It was dependent upon God and trusting him. And he would pass over when he saw the blood. But if they were not under the blood, or if they were not in the household, then they would suffer the Passover judgment. God had one way. How about Daniel? Daniel was told, if you just stop praying and worship Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or the king. Various times he was called to do that, remember? Think about the lion's den. (laughs) The king had a plan. You don't do this, you're going to go in in the lion's den. And yet, God had a greater plan said, I can keep you even among the lions. I can't think of a more vulnerable place than to be in among lions that are hungry. And yet God stopped their mouth. And that Daniel was still alive in the morning. Or his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, spared in the fire there in Daniel 3. How about Elijah being fed by ravens? Ravens are an unclean bird. I can't imagine a Jew who uh, was living under the law, who had these dietary laws, you know, all of those things having to rely on an unclean bird to come and bring him food. And yet God said, that's what I'm going to do for you. Isn't that the way it is? We trust him in spite of what we even know sometimes. And then you can go on and on and on about various things where we see one way. Really, we need to understand that this aspect of uh, reaffirming our confidence takes work. Sometimes we need to stop. We need to kind of heal up we got to remove some things. Uh, I think of that uh, years ago. My parents bought a lot down in Enfield, Maine, and we had to clear it. It hadn't been uh, cleared for probably 40 or 50 years, so there were those that size trees that had grown up on that. And to build a house there, we had to go in first and cut those trees down, and then prepare the ground, and some of the stones and rocks and granite and everything else that was there had to be moved, all right? And pushed out and thankfully had a bulldozer that did that. But it all took time. And you're not going to build a house if you don't clear the land, right? And you're not going to walk by faith unless you clear out the stones of the heart and everything else. Sometimes that fallow ground. We need to do that. Thirdly, they removed their condemnation. 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 Look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, this is after they had healed up, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the reproach of Egypt is, it would bring their minds back to a couple different instances because remember, and it's recorded in the book of Numbers and also in, uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, of a time when Israel didn't, as a nation, didn't trust the Lord. And this is after they came out of Egypt. And they came out of Egypt, and one of the first things that they do, remember Moses goes up on the mountain, when he comes down, what have the people done? They've made themselves a golden calf. And they're worshiping a golden calf. Isn't it interesting that we always want to worship something that we can touch and feel and control? A golden calf, you can move it around, you can control it and all that. God is not like that. He's not like an idol. He's not like some medallion or token or anything like that. He's the living God who fills the universe with his presence. And you can't contain him. You can't make him. No hands can handle him. 
He's God. And that's the God who comes and welcomes us and invites us to worship him. And he does that even to this very day right now. He wants you to worship him. But we don't like that. We would rather have a God that we can control and put on a shelf or hang on a wall or do something like that. And the reality is this, that that's, that's not what God has for us. And he didn't want Israel to be like that. And way back in the book of Exodus, you find out that they erect this golden calf and they are worshiping it and then God is about to bring judgment upon them. And if, if Moses had not interceded on their behalf, I'm telling you that they would have been wiped out. And God wanted to wipe them out. But they repented. And I'm glad that they repented. And by the way, he could have wiped all of us out too. I hope you've repented of your sin. Turned from your ways. I had to do that. Back in 1988, I did that. Turned from my ways and I trusted the Lord. And I'll tell you, it's now moving forward with him. And our sins are cast away. That's what he promised to do. The other time was when they didn't believe God at Kadesh Barnea. Remember that? And that's in Numbers 14. And again, God threatened to destroy them because they didn't trust him. And yet, again, they repented and God interceded, or they, uh, Moses interceded on their behalf. But they removed their condemnation at Gilgal. It was a place where that reproach of Egypt... See, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that was a great miracle. But the harder miracle was that Egypt was still in their heart, wasn't it? Well, they remembered back to the leeks and the onions and the nice food and all the luxuries of Egypt. And they forgot they were enslaved in Egypt. And sometimes we do that. We dwell on the past, the things we think we were better and they aren't. Turn to him. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. <clears throat> Aren't you glad he's removed your sin? Through the sacrifice of Christ at the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he had taken all the sins of the world and it was placed upon him and he paid for your sin and my sin. In full. And all, now all you have to do is receive that as a gift. The gift of forgiveness. You don't have to do anything for it. You couldn't anyways. It's already been done. Israel didn't have to do anything except trust Christ or trust the Lord in this. <clears throat> Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you, Lord, have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Isn't it great? Your sins are taken and they're removed, but they're also thrown behind the back of the Lord. And by the way, if you can get past the Lord and get, get those sins back, then I guess you could take them back on. But I don't know anybody that can get past the Lord. They're behind him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? Amen. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 20. This is future. This is for Israel as well as all. But it says in those days and in that time says the Lord. The iniquity of Israel shall be sought but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. Isn't it great that God pardons? 
Micah chapter 7 verse 19 he will again have compassion on us and will subdue all uh, subdue our iniquities and will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea hey amen you know exactly no fishing that's what I, i heard that once guy said he casts them into the depths of the sea and he hangs a sign no fishing and by the way we will fish sometimes the reproach of uh, egypt stays with us and that reproach of egypt is my moral failures before my sin before there are people that i probably could bump into in this life and i i bump into them and if they remember back to where i was as a teenager or wherever and they would say wow i remember when you and i went out and did this and we did that and we we sinned and that reproach of egypt is there isn't it but he has removed that reproach i'm a new creation today and sometimes it's the fact that we lack confidence in that salvation where he's forgiven us and cleansed us that's what the book of first john says if we confess our sins he it's he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness no all he removes the reproach of egypt fourthly they remembered their commitment You see, they had committed to follow after the Lord. Look at verse 10 of Joshua 5. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on that, on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Now what you have here is really a picture of uh, God honoring them and recognizing, first of all, that uh, they had a commitment. The commitment was to keep the Passover. The Passover was to be done annually, and it was to remind them of how God brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them through the slain lamb and his hand. And it was a picture of a greater who would come someday, the perfect son of God, sinless lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And by faith, as they did that every year, and they exercised that feast that they were to do, it was a constant reminder that there was a payment for their deliverance and that someday God would send a deliverer like none other. And we read in the gospel records that it was on the Passover week that Jesus presented himself to the people. And it would be at that same week where, where lambs were being slain in the celebration of the Passover and the remembrance of the Passover that the Lamb of God would be slain on a cross. Those sacrifices of the lambs, well, they were temporary. They didn't really even ever take away sin. That's what the book of Hebrews says. But it was an aspect of trusting God in his plan, the trust or faith in God that saved people in the Old Testament, New Testament, as they looked towards God's plan, God's Savior. And Jesus, though, when he died as the Lamb of God, it was the last lamb ever needed. It was the perfect salvation perfect sin sacrifice no more lambs need to die today no more blood has to be shed because god took our place at the cross and he took death and he was victorious over death 
The Bible says if you'll believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and he rose again, and, and you'll turn to him as your sin bearer, well, your sin is removed. He saves you. And that's a wonderful truth. You do that by faith. That's how you do it. We read of what they did there. And it's a reminder again of uh, the commitment to the Lord uh, that they had. They kept the Passover. What a lesson for all of us, really, as we face the battles of life and remember some of the great things the Lord has done for us in our past. That's what the Passover did. It was both a past, a looking past, but looking to the future as well. Be reminded that He called us in His love. He called us and saved us by His grace. He forgave us all our sins. How about that? He keeps us from falling. He conquers our enemies of the past. He conquers our enemies of the future. Paul says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, right? And he gives us the victory where there seems no hope. There's some that have no hope today, but Christ can offer hope even to those with no hope. Sometimes we just have to take time to understand that. And then, lastly, they recognize who is in control. You see, there was an aspect of this in this whole chapter. You read about, you know, this process that took place, the cutting off of the flesh, uh, the healing that was required after that. But then at the end of that, here's Joshua. He has this moment with the Lord himself. Look at verse 13. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. And I often wonder, what was Joshua thinking at that time? I think he probably would have been like any of us. He's looking at this fortified city with base of the walls some like like we're some places 40 feet thick in this high walled city impenetrable by man's weapons and he's thinking wow and you put me in charge of this and at the same time i have people that are just getting over surgery (laughs) how are we going to do this lord how are we going to do this I, i don't know what was going through joshua's mind but you have this. Look what it says. His eyes were down. Sometimes we get our eyes on, on the down and not up. Then he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man. A man. It looked like a man, but not the man. Stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. A warrior. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? It's a good question. Man with a sword drawn, that's, that could be bad. But it might be good. Find out that he was indeed the captain of his salvation. He was the Lord himself. And this in theological terms is what we call a Christophany or a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, who is the one who is going to lead them into battle. Finds out that this is indeed the one who would... uh, uh, would be the one that would uh, save them in that. And by the way, when you look at verse 15, let me go to that because it didn't come up. Oh, there it is. Yeah. It says, so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And look what Joshua, this is not just an ordinary man. It says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. Now, by the way, if that was not God, it would have been sin for him to do that. And there were times... Remember when they were worshiping a golden calf, they got in a lot of trouble. 
this man does not tell him, oh, don't worship me. I'm just a man. Look what it says. What does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua knew who this was. This is the same one whose voice spoke from the burning bush when, remember, uh, Moses was standing there in the wilderness and he sees this bush that's burning but not consumed. He goes out there and a voice speaks to him and says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. This is the same one. Verse 15, then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, as the leader of the nation, has this experience with the holiness of God. And may I point out that in every instance when you have these experiences in Scripture, the people who worship God see their condition before a holy God and they fall down and worship Him. Sometimes we want to do some crazy thing or... Or, or do some weird thing and, and say that that's of God and all that. And I'll just tell you, all the experiences in Scripture when they became uh, uh, recognized who God was really in control and who He was like, they realized how little they were and I am. And when we get a hold of that notion that He is big and I am not, that I can follow Him and He'll never let me down, He's the captain of our salvation. And He recognized that in that whole thing. I like what John Newton said. John Newton, who wrote the most famous uh, hymn he wrote was Amazing Grace, right? John Newton's story is really quite a story. I won't rehash all of it, but it is to say that at one time he was a man who was trading slaves on ship, right? As he would do that passage from England to the West Indies, and they would uh, sell slaves and then they would get you know sugar and other products and bring it back and they would go and they were he was involved in that and he was marvelously converted he was by his own admission quite a sinner but he was marvelously converted later would become an abolitionist someone who was actually one of the early voices against slavery and very thankful that men like him did that by the way almost exclusively christians that did that John Newton said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think that's what we have to come to. Oh, I'm not exactly where I need to be fully. Someday I will, in his presence and glory. But until then, it's going to be a battle. And by his grace, we stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the invitation of scripture to be sanctified and set apart for you. Lord, as we face the battle of life ahead, even this week, Lord, even today, may we be victorious. May we be sold out to you. May you guard us. In Jesus' name, amen.